Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 245. 245. I'm Douglas Wilson, and I guess you're you. <laughs> so welcome, you. So what I want to do is uh, talk about, uh, I want to develop something that, that I've mentioned before, I've mentioned a number of times before, but we're seeing more and more applications of this principle in more and more areas. I've said for years that all of our culture war battles, all of them, are battles over editorial control of the dictionary. Who shall be the editor of the dictionary? These are dictionary battles. And we've seen, we've seen striking challenges, like, like the woman who was just recently uh, put on the Supreme Court when asked, what is a woman? Who said, I don't know, I'm not a biologist. Why couldn't you just look it up in a dictionary? You, well, because the dictionary, all dictionaries are contested territory. That's what we're fighting over, is the right to define the world. Because once you have control of the dictionary, or the dictionaries, you have control of the world. Once you have control of the dictionary, you have control of the world, or so you think. God still has control of the world, but you think that you've got a lot, um, you, you think you have more power than you do, and you, at, at the very least, you have power over human society and human culture, and you can cancel people who have done the wrong, uh, who said the wrong thing, who used the wrong uh, pronoun, who used the wrong definition of the word. So, this most recently came, this, this uh, was highlighted yet again when the United States economy went into recession. So, a recession has been defined forever as uh, two quarters of negative growth in a row. So, if you have two quarters of negative growth in a row, those two end-to-end mean that you're in a recession. Now, you can pull it out quickly and have it be a mild recession, or it could be go on and on and have a, be a lengthy recession. But that's, that's what a recession is, is two quarters of negative growth. But the administration, the Biden administration, has denied that we're in a recession. No, no, no. It's not a recession at all. Now, what, what is this? Well, this is simply an attempt to flex, um, demonstrating control over the dictionary. And I even saw someone highlighting the fact that the definition of definition has been changed in some places. So what does it mean to define? Well, our, our dictionary battles are not going away. Everything boils down to this. Uh, you know, if you might say, well, isn't, the Bible, isn't it about the Bible? Well, define Bible. Isn't it about theology? Well, define theology. So there, in order for us to talk about God, in order for us to talk about Scripture, in order for us to talk about the Epistle of Romans, we're functioning with human language first. And if we have a dogged commitment, as our, our generation does, if we have a dogged commitment to be dishonest with every word we use, if we do that, then anything we touch, theology, exegesis, scripture, we can make it anything we want it to mean. This is why Christians have to, I think, fall back to the place where things started to go wrong. And where they started to go wrong is uh, in the idea that, that we could be like the, um, is it Humpty Dumpty and, and Alice? 
or we're, it's just a question of who is to be master, that's all. We expect in ordinary life, ordinary time, we expect the definition of words to stay put. But that's because Christ is Lord. That's because honesty is a virtue. That's because we want to be upright like our Father in heaven. But if we want to be deceptive, manipulative, duplicitous like our Father below, then the first thing we're going to have to do is learn how to make all the words slipperier, all the words and verbs and pronouns more bendable so that we can simply adapt them to our will. So, dictionary battles, that's where it's at. What is a recession? What is a woman? What is a boy? What is a war? What is a police action? What is oppression? What is tyranny? <laughs> it matters. It matters who has the dictionary. Always will be God. All right, so continuing with um, the podcast, episode 245. Here we are again in hamartiology class, pencils out, ready to take notes. The word we are considering this time is impleco, impleco, E-M-P-L-E-K-O, impleco, which means to entangle. The first use of it is found in 2 Timothy, where Paul is warning against the sin of getting distracted from the ministry and mission of the church. He uses the example of the man who has enlisted as a soldier and how he wants to please the one who recruited him. He doesn't get lured away by civilian pursuits. He is now a soldier and must be intent on thinking like a soldier. 2 Timothy 2.4 No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So he's saying, no man going to war, no man who's enlisted as a soldier, entangles himself with the affairs of this life. So entangling uh, yourself with the affairs of this life would be a negative thing, would be a sinful thing, in this case, because of the context. A person who fails in this way might, might just be distracted by things that are innocent in themselves, or which might be just fine in themselves in a more suitable setting. The failure here is one of failing to recognize the context. There are certain things that are not appropriate, certain things that are not appropriate when you're on the brink of battle. Okay. So, the second use of this word has a more direct moral component. This is from 2 Peter 2.20. For if after they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein, there we are, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. 2 Peter 2.20. So here, the entanglement is with the pollutions of the world and is, moreover, a re-entanglement. Peter says that they are again entangled. They were once uh, trapped by the world's pollutions, were set free from those pollutions for a time, but then got dragged back in. The illustrations that Peter goes on to use in the next verses show that we're not talking about someone who is genuinely converted or truly regenerated. A dog that returns to its vomit is always a dog, and when you hose down a sow, what you, what you have is a clean pig, or more accurately, what you have is a clean pig for a short time. But that short time is not insignificant. So Peter does say they've escaped the pollutions of the world. So let's say someone's a drunk and a, and a meth addict and is sexually promiscuous, and he makes a profession of faith, and he, he's dry for 
eight months and doesn't use drugs for a year and he's he's clean and sober and things seem to be coming together for him but then he falls away if he falls away he's again entangled he was never truly converted because the sow that is washed is still a sow but he was clean for a time it's the bible does not uh, require us to assume that the moral the moral improvement was imaginary or illusory god don't never change he's god so um we come now to my book review section uh the book i'd like to review uh this time is a book called the year of our lord by sinclair ferguson i really like sinclair ferguson's work and this is a work of church history what he does is he's not doing this as a historian but rather as a well-read pastor theologian uh someone and what he does is he breaks uh church history up into basically 20 chapters uh one for each century and he tells some he gives us some representative figures and representative stories and anecdotes from the first century, and then he does it again for the second century, and then again for the third century. Uh, it's, it's really good. It's a very um, um, straightforward uh, read, straight, straightforward to get through, very enjoyable. There, there are some uh, uh, really, really interesting details, interesting uh, historical tidbits, and, and so on in it. Um, so highly commended, really enjoyable. If you want to, if you want to, it's a, if you're traveling at all, this would be a good, um, book to, for you and your family to listen to on the road. Uh, I think your older kids would, um, enjoy it as well. So one short chapter per century, first century, second century, and so on. The one, the one place where, um, and, and this comes up for various reasons. This uh, uh, this comes up, oh, probably uh, three times over the twentieth century, and that is, um, what do, what do we do with the whole Constantinian thing? So uh, Sinclair Ferguson does a, uh, you know, he's a Scots Presbyterian theologian steeped in the Reformed tradition, a good, you know. Good, sound, solid stuff, but I've I've noticed that a lot of a lot of people have trouble processing those times in history when Christians won. <laughs> now, not only do we have trouble processing those times when the Christians won, but the people, the Christians themselves who won, had a hard time with it. So now, what the, uh, the way I've described it is, there have been several several moments in church history where the Christians found themselves in charge of everything before the Christians themselves were ready for prime time, before the Christians themselves were ready for it. In other words, the Roman Empire fell apart before the Christians had grown to a level of maturity that would enable them to make nothing but correct decisions, right? Uh, I think this happened. The, the two the two great times in history where I think this happened were with 
the conversion of Constantine and the subsequent conversion of the empire, which downstream resulted in the whole, uh, the whole medieval thing. And then I think it happened again with the Reformation, particularly the Reformation in England, where the, in the Puritan Revolution, the Puritans basically seized control. Charles I was executed. Oliver Cromwell was a very competent uh, ruler, Lord Protector, and they um, they did their thing. So here's the here's the uh, the thing I would want to put forward, and I think it might help Sinclair Ferguson with the conundrum that he kept bumping up against when Christians found themselves in charge of everything. One of the things that they did frequently is they screwed everything up. They, they made poor choices. So when the Puritans found themselves in charge of England, they didn't opt for a mere Christendom. They opted for, okay, we want, we want the Church of England to conform to our, our denominational distinctives, whether it's Anglican or Presbyterian or independent. And we, we want we want the whole thing to be this way, and we want that to be imposed. In contrast, I think that that we ought to we ought to opt for a mere Christendom where we don't we don't try to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. What we should do is just content ourselves with the big issues. Look, don't chop up babies. Abortion is against the law. Look, no, two two guys can't be married. No, that's ridiculous. But we don't have we we don't want the president to issue an executive order on whether we should baptize with heads upstream or heads downstream that's not that's not his job so at the time of constantine there were there were prudent voices urging this sort of thing lactantius who was uh, an early church father who was a, a tutor to constantine's kids urged this sort of approach but Invariably, the the precisionists within the church say, "Well, it's the word of God, and we've got to we've got to impose every every jot and every tittle." No, we really we need to grow in maturity. We need to take our time. But having said all that, Constantine converting, even with the messiness of how he did it, and the messiness of the Roman Empire becoming Christian, even with all that mess, it was far far better. Than the paganism that had gone before. So, w- one of the most momentous things that happened in Western history was the cessation of the pagan sacrifices. We shouldn't want to go back to that. That was that was truly a turning point in human history. We're we're not sacrificing uh, a heifer at the halftime of the Super Bowl, although from some of those things it looks like they want to. Oh, we don't do that anymore. The cessation of the pagan sacrifices was entirely a good thing. And mess and all, warts and all, difficulties and all, downstream from Constantine was a major improvement over what had gone before. The same, I would say the same thing with the Puritan Revolution. The Puritan Revolution in England, well, they made all, there were all sorts of mistakes made, all kinds of problems, different kinds of overreach. And yet, I thank God for it. There were all sorts of downstream blessings, particularly, I think, including 
the liberties that we've historically enjoyed as Americans are all the fruit of the work that was done in the Puritan Revolution. So I prefer that with the mess. Uh, it basically, think of it as, um, think of it, let's say you've got an angular teenager with a lot of smarts and ability and acne and difficulties and moodiness and so forth. And let's say you had a word from the Archangel Gabriel that he's, he's going to turn out all right. There's still some tumultuous times. Uh, Constantine was the terrible twos. Uh, the Puritan Revolution was the, uh, the adolescent. Uh, we're growing up. Let the, let the church be immature and strive to do better.